You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. Open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, and then we will jump to verse 14. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. We jump to verse 14. It says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this wonderful time that we can come together and just hear from you. Thank you for that wonderful gift. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will be our teacher today. And not only our teacher, but the one who will transform us. Lord, allow each and every person here, all of us, to open our hearts, open our minds, and just be ready to obey you. And Lord, as we read the story of the Israelites, may we be led to a place where we would really give you the proper worship that you deserve, nothing less. Thank you for this time. Once again, bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, we are on our series, Remember This. And what do we want to remember by the end of the day? That God is a great king who deserves all honor. We have been reading from the book of Malachi. This is a very interesting book. The verses that we have just read, they were kind of scary and harsh, right? The Lord didn't seem pleased. The Lord seemed uh, disappointed, angry even. And for us to be able to really understand where God is coming from. And at the same time, understand what the Israelites were doing. I think it's best that we go back in time to see what was really happening. So again, Malachi, it was written during, uh, after the 70-year exile period of the Israelites. So the Israelites, they're the people of God, the chosen people that God you know, promised to prosper, promised to bless, to protect, to make them succeed so that they can be a blessing to other nations. And God did that. But every time God, you know, honored them, when they got too comfortable, they would go back to their old ways. They would go back to worshiping other gods, offering to other idols. They would go back to their selfish desires, to their old sins. And, you know, every time that happened, the Lord gave them what they wanted. He gave them back to their enemies. And every time they were captured by their enemies, they would go back to the Lord. They would again ask for His help. They would honor Him once again and the Lord would honor them, save them. And then it was a cycle for them. They would go back to worshiping other idols. They would go back to their sins. It, was, it happened over and over again for the longest time for the Israelites. They were a very hard-headed bunch. They were stubborn. They were disobedient. But still, the Lord chose to you know, bless them and love them regardless of what they were doing. So, you see, they, it was a cycle. And then finally, the Lord said, okay, I'm going to, he prophesied, I, you are going, I'm going to give you to the hand of your enemies and you will be driven out of the land that I have given you for 70 years. 
So they were given to the hands of the Babylonians. They ended up being captives. They ended up being slaves just like what they were during the time of Genesis with the Egyptians. They were just waiting for that 70-year period to end. And finally, it ended. And now it was a new generation of Israelites. It was the next generation, or maybe we should call them the millennial Israelites. The idea that they had with Jerusalem, with the land that they were going back to, was that it was beautiful. There was a wonderful temple built by Solomon. It was glorious. It was majestic. The land in that, in that place is so beautiful. Whatever you plant, it bears fruit. Uh, and they were really excited because they were excited to finally receive the blessings that were promised to them. They were excited to see the promised king, the Messiah who would establish the kingdom of God and, you know, would show the righteousness and the justice that God has promised. And they were really looking forward because they believed it was going to happen in the new temple in Jerusalem. If you were part of the Israelites, it was like coming back home to your dream house. It was like, Booking a nice room in a five-star hotel, it was like booking this room. You already saw the picture on the internet and you're looking forward because it won't be a staycation. You will be living there forever. So who among you here would want that to happen? Only a few. Is the room not good enough for you? Maybe you want a suite. But then again, this is good enough for me. They were really excited. It was a beautiful place. Their hopes were up. Finally, 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 the promises will happen. They go back to Jerusalem. What do they see? Their expectations didn't meet reality. Instead of seeing this room, they saw this. How would you feel? Lord, what happened? Lord, the picture didn't match. Can I get a refund? Can you just send me back to the place where I went, where I came from because my room there was so much better? So all of a sudden, you know, the, the complaints started to happen. And uh, this book, Malachi, was written 100 years after they came back. So it was really a long time. And to be honest, I mean, yes, I know that God is faithful, but can we blame the Israelites? How many times in our lives... Have we mocked God? Have we questioned Him? Because we weren't getting the promises that He promised to us in the time that we wanted them to happen. So that was happening in the minds of the Israelites. It's been 100 years. Okay, fine. We, we quit. Looks like it's not going to happen. The new batch of Israelites were the ones who just heard stories about God from their ancestors. So when they saw the new temple rebuilt, it wasn't as glorious as the first one. When they saw the land, it was a hard land. And they were expecting justice and prosperity. Everywhere they looked, there was corruption. Everywhere they looked, there was injustice. There was poverty. So what was happening? They really didn't know God. So they started blaming Him. Oh, God is so unfaithful. He didn't pull through with His promises. He tricked us. I would rather go back to Babylon. The food there is better. Life there is easier. They were trying to highlight the unfaithfulness of God, but as we read through Malachi, it's funny because it was actually their unfaithfulness that was being highlighted. Because in truth, when we talk about corruption, who were the ones who were corrupt? Wasn't it them? Who were the ones who were taking advantage of each other? Wasn't it them? So actually, we see that the exile, the 70-year exile that was supposed to change their hearts, didn't do anything. They, yes, they were a new generation, but 
they were still the same hard-headed, disobedient, arrogant, selfish people. And that's where we pick up here in the book of Malachi. The Lord wanted to address all of those things and a lot of other things, and He was going to do it through the prophet Malachi. So it's scary. You know, it's a book. They, they say that Malachi, actually Malachi's name means messenger. And they call him the messenger of rebuke and renewal. Now, I know that not a lot of us here enjoy rebukes. And yeah, this book is full of it. So, you know, just hang on. Uh, just take heart. It's just four weeks. We're going to receive it. And we're going to have this in mind. This book opens with a wonderful statement from God. He is assuring his people. He is reminding them what? God said, I have loved you. I have loved you. And how did the Israelites respond? How have you loved us? Wow! How arrogant! How, how rude of them to say that to God. But then again, human perspective, they were expecting something, but they didn't get it, so they were throwing a tantrum like a three-year-old brat. So they were asking, how have you loved us? And this is actually the format of Malachi. It was God presenting a truth. It was God presenting an accusation and then the people of Israel deny it with a question, prove it. And then God would show additional things to support what he was saying. They asked, how have you loved us? And the Lord reminded them, I chose Jacob over Esau. I chose the guy who deceives people. I chose the guy who wasn't the one who was supposed to receive the birthright. I chose the one who tricks other people. I chose the undeserving one. And when you think about it, all of us here are Jacobs. We are all undeserving. But God chose to love us. Why? Oh, because, you know, I'm influential. Oh, I'm good looking. Oh, I have talent and skill. He could use me in my area. No. No one can boast of their skills. The only reason why God loved us is not because of what we can do, but simply because He is a good God. So from last week, we remember God chose to love us not because we are good, but because He is good. God chose to love us not because we are lovable, but because He is a loving God. So that was what was happening during this time. Now, because they were disappointed in God, they viewed Him differently. They viewed Him as an unfaithful God. They were focusing on the current situation. So it affected the way they worshipped Him. It affected the way they treated Him. It affected the way they looked to Him. And during this time, when we talk about honoring God, it usually is linked with worship. And they didn't really think that they weren't worshipping God because as far as they were concerned, they were quote-unquote worshipping because they were still continuing to offer the offerings that were required of them. So they didn't really see what God was saying here. But as we continue to read, we go back to our um, text. It says in Malachi 1.6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. So before he throws a rebuke, Again, he goes back to relationship. He actually goes back to the picture of a son and a father and a servant and a master. A son always honors his father. Well, not always, but ideally should honor his father, especially in the Jewish culture. And a servant should always honor his master and respect his master. And when we talk about honor, it's actually 
giving another person a higher regard than yourself, considering him more significant, putting him on a pedestal. And it means to give a heavy weight of authority to someone. That's what we should be doing with God, but apparently the Israelites weren't doing that. So he says, a son honors his father. If then I am father, where is my honor? So as we look back at the Old Testament, we know how important honor is when it comes to children and parents. Children were very submissive and obedient to their parents. Even sometimes if, if they don't understand what their parents were asking them to do. If you remember Isaac, his father was going to... Uh, his father was going to offer him and he was already lying down there and he was just submitting. He was trusting. That's, that's the Jewish culture and that was what God was asking. And he was painting a beautiful picture here. He was telling the Israelites, I am your father. Where is my honor? You are my children. That is a wonderful show of our relationship. And as we look back in the Old Testament, we see how God was a perfect father to them, even though they didn't really recognize it. We see how they provided for, he provided for the Israelites uh, when they needed food in the wilderness. We see how, you know, he continued to protect them during the exile. And we see how he fulfilled his promise to bring them back to Jerusalem, the land that was promised to them. So God was really a perfect father to them, but they couldn't see that because they were so clouded with the, the selfish things in their heart. And, you know, even in their rebellion, God still chose to love them. So that being said, when we look at history, and you know, when we look at history, we see the character of God. We know that He hasn't changed. God is still a loving Father who deserves all honor, especially from them. And then He goes to uh, say, a servant honors his master. If I am master, where is my fear? So a lot of us here, I believe, are employees if you're not an employee, I believe you report to someone. Maybe you own a business and you report to your wife. I don't know. When it comes to our bosses, to the people above us, we always want them to see that we are doing our best. Who goes into the office and just slacks off, right? We always want to show them that we are doing our all, that we are uh, really performing. And if we do that for our human bosses, how much more for our ultimate boss, our ultimate master who is God? And as we again look back in the history of Israel, we know that he is a master whose direction we can always trust because he has never ever led his people to death. And all of his promises, if we truly pursue it, he will set us in a road where we will truly experience prosperity and success as we continue to trust in him. And even in our lives, we don't have to even look at the lives of the Israelites. Even in our lives, every time we obey, blessings follow us more than what we can imagine. And that being said, we can say that God is a powerful master who deserves all honor. So those are two powerful pictures. God is a father and a master who deserves honor. A relationship where there is fondness, you know, you would want, really want to show respect to your father. And master, you would want to submit. You, you are to give utmost respect and reverence to your boss. Now, that being said, the Lord starts the first of many rebukes for the Israelites. He says to the priests, you despise my name. Despise is such a strong word. What does despise mean? That means to view someone lower than yourself. That means to view someone as really nothing, as trash. And God was saying that. Imagine God saying that to you. The Israelites were really surprised during this time. They said, how have we despised your name? And in fairness to them, it might have come as a 
genuine surprise. Because again, as I was saying, this was the time when the temple was rebuilt and worship to God was reestablished. So, you know, the original of feasts where they offered to God were reestablished and they were offering things to God. But then the offerings that they were giving were like this, not really perfect and not good enough. So Israel asked, how have we despised your name? God answered them in verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show favor, says the Lord of hosts. So we see that the Israelites were indeed giving offerings to God, but what were they offering? They were offering animals or rejects, basically. Animals that they can't sell. Animals that they can't make money off. Those that were lame, those that were sick, those that were blind. In short, the animals that they should slaughter because they're good for nothing. And you know, the sad part about this is the idea of offering these animals came from the priests. The people who were supposedly teaching the people how to honor God correctly. And, you know, uh, that was really sad and that really disappointed God. It was like, instead of giving Him the best among the flock, they were giving Him the leftovers, the trash, the good-for-nothing ones. Every time there is a party and you are the guest of honor, people will wait for you before they start eating. Sometimes you can be late for two hours. They text you, the food is already cold. But they still don't touch it because they want the guest of honor to be the one to have the first touch on the food. To be the one to pick which part of the chicken do you like? Which part of the cake do you like? That's an honor, especially for us Filipinos. That's an honor we give. Now, uh, the Lord was saying here, try to offer leftovers to your governors. See if they will uh, accept it. This is what the Israelites were doing to God. And when you receive something like this, do you feel valued? Do you feel important? I don't think so. Offering the mutilated animals, offering the animals that were missing limbs and were blind and were sick, that was a direct violation of the Mosaic Law, the guidelines of what we should offer to God. It says in Leviticus 22.22, animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. We think that it's okay as long as we give something. But in truth, gifts, it can either honor a person or insult a person. And they were insulting God. Our offerings reveal the way we value God. Earlier this week, another one of the highlights of my week, uh, my mom actually celebrated her birthday last Wednesday. So we spent it here packing goods. She said it was the best birthday because she gets to serve God and at the same time help other people. Uh, So yeah, that's what we did. And you know, every time my mom celebrates her birthday, I always want to give her something special. Sometimes even more than what I could afford. Because I really want to show her that I value her. Not that the price tag matters, but you know, I really want just to surprise her with something beautiful. So I usually end up pooling my funds with my sister so that we can afford to buy a more expensive gift, a better gift. And we usually give her what uh, 
the, the designer bags that she likes or shoes or even gadgets sometimes. Things that sometimes leave us with nothing anymore. But it doesn't matter to me because I know my mom. She always puts us first. And she provides for our needs. She takes care of us. And I don't have anything to worry about because I know that even if I run out of money, um, she will take care of me. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's, I do that not because she expects it of us, but because I want to do it, because I want to show her how much I value her. It is not done out of obligation. It is done out of joy and excitement. And you know when you finally get that gift that you want to offer, you can't wait, you know, you're wishing, I wish it was her birthday already so I can give it to her. That is the type of excitement that we should have when offering gifts to the Lord. But the Israelites, on the other hand, that wasn't the way they were treating God. Again, our offerings reveal the way we value God. How do we offer to God? I mean, you might be sitting here and thinking, oh my gosh, this guy, he's been talking about offering animals. Kadire, I don't do that. We don't do that. This is so irrelevant to my life right now. I can't even touch raw food. Ew. And, you know, let me tell you this. We can actually still do the same things that the Israelites were doing. Not with animals, of course, but every time we give our offering on Sundays, what do we give God? I mean, honoring Him with our finances. How do we do it? When we get our pay, do we set aside what we want to give God first? Or do we pay for all our bills first? And then when we get what remains, if there's anything that we can give, well, praise God. But if there's nothing, then, oh, the Lord will understand. That's offering leftovers. That's offering mutilated animals or money. We can do that. Or how about the way we sing worship songs? Our worship is offering to God. People see you outside of church singing video, okay, you know, with, uh, closing your eyes with arm work, bending your knees as if you were in Tawag ng Tanghalan, Concert Queen. But then every time you come here for worship, you don't even open your mouth, you don't even raise your hands, and you act like you're a judge of the voice, even critiquing the worship team. What kind of offering is that? Or every time we choose to serve using our skills. You know, every time we're at work, diba, we're bida-bida, oy, ako na lang, boss, oy, ako na lang. But here in church, we expect to come in and be served, not using our skills and talents. What does it say of us offering to God? So you see, the very things that the Israelites were guilty of, the very things that we say, wow, what are you doing, are things that we can still be doing right now, only in a different light. As we continue reading, the Lord says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. And here we see that not all offerings are accepted. Only those offerings that really God sees are from our hearts and the offerings that we really give our best. Those are the offerings that matter because again, if we just give offerings just for the sake of giving, just like the Israelites, then we lose the whole point of giving offerings. Because offerings and worship and honor, it doesn't only talk about the physical thing that we give. It also talks about our hearts. And actually, this is where it all begins. The external things, that's what we see. But in truth, those are just expressions of what is happening inside of us. That shows us how we view God. And here we see that it's not enough just to give. And giving something that we don't need, it's not giving. Giving leftovers, giving something that we won't use, that's not giving. I know of a person before, I will not mention any names, but I had a friend before, 
her mom would always give her shopping money like crazy, like around 30,000, 40,000, go shop. And she would give to the offering like 10,000, 15,000. And that's great, right? But you know what she'd do? She'd only give if she runs out of things to buy. So that's a big amount. That is more than what is expected of us. But how is it done? The Lord checks our hearts. Again, more significant than the things that we give is the status of our hearts when we give. So that's something that we should carefully examine as well. So seeing this, the Israelites were doing careless worship. How do we worship God the right way? Well, of course, first, we give God what is first. We give Him the first fruits. We give Him the best portions of what we have. We don't leave it to ourselves. And we give something that costs us. Something that, you know, when you drop it in the offering basket, you, you, you kind of want to, I don't want to, it, it kind of hurts, it pinches a little. That's, that's giving. That's giving something that is important to us. And you know, the funny thing is, in truth, God doesn't need our offerings. God doesn't need our money. He can allow His church to run without us giving thank you very much. Giving offerings, giving worship is not actually to sustain what He needs to do. It is actually a privilege that we have to celebrate the covenant relationship that we have with Him. Every time we offer, it is an opportunity for us to declare, Lord, my success, I could not have done it without You. That is why I am giving You my best. Because You have given me everything. And, you know, every time we choose not to give the right way, every time we choose not to give at all, that is tantamount to saying, Lord, I don't need you in my life. I can succeed on my own. Remember, every time we give, we give what is first, we give what is best, and we give what costs us. Not leftovers, not the rejects. We want to show God how much we value Him because the gifts that we give would really reflect how we view Him. And he continues to say to the Israelites, but you say what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Giving offerings, again, it's not something we do out of obligation. It's, it's, it's an overflow of joy in our hearts. So if you give and you're saying, here, Lord, I'm giving, whatever, you may be giving the right amount, but you're tainting it with your bad attitude. And even us, when we receive gifts, imagine receiving a gift from someone here, happy birthday. Will you receive that? The attitude of the heart, that's what also God looks at. So we have to be careful. It's part of our offering. It's part of our worship. And you know, I'm not here to force you to give offerings that the Lord is worthy of. You know, you, every time we sing praise and worship, you should be jumping up and down. You should be lifting your hands and closing your eyes and kneeling on the ground. It doesn't happen that way. No one will direct us how to worship. It is something that simply happens as we get to know what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you know, as we give our offering, let's remember, hindi po utang na loob ng Diyos sa atin na nagbibigay tayo niyan. He does not need it. But we know that He deserves it. It says, we go back to the beginning of everything. I know these are harsh words, but let us remember, the Lord started this book with what? I have loved you. See, the title is Remember This. And just a short insight, the title is Remember This because this was a time where Israel was just really waiting, waiting for the promises to happen. 
And when you look at Malachi, it is what ends the Old Testament. And in our Bibles, there's a page in the middle that says New Testament, and then it's Matthew already. So it's just separated by a page. But in truth, it was separated by 400 years. Jesus was saying all of these things. He was saying, remember this because I will be silent for 400 years and these are the very things that will get you through that, that time, that season when you feel that I am silent. And you know, there are times in our lives when we feel God is silent. There are times when we feel He isn't moving. These are the very things that would allow us to have that hope, that faith to move forward. I have loved you. And even though we receive rebukes, we look at it with that perspective. God loves me. That is why He is saying all of these things to me. And He wasn't rebuking just for nothing. He was rebuking them because He was inviting them to come into perfect union with Him once again so that He could fulfill the covenant that He has for them. So again, God deserves our offering. Finally, in verse 14, He says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. This is so beautiful. The Lord starts with, I am your father. That was him, not Luke Skywalker. I am your father. Oh, Darth Vader, I mean. I am your father, and then he starts with, I am your master. And then finally, he ends with, I am your king. In truth, he could have started with, I am your king, honor me, period. But then again, he loves us. He affirms the relationship that we have with him. And, you know, he says, I am a great king. My name will be feared among the nations. The respect that we have for our fathers, there's a certain fondness there. The respect and the reverence, the honor that we give to our masters, there's some sort of obligation there. But it will never be on the same level as the reverence that we give to a king. This is a totally different kind of honor that should not match anyone. We hear of kings, you know, the way we stand in their presence. Every time they are there, we can't look at their faces. That is the type of honor that God was asking from His people every time we offer something to Him. He is our great king. And when we look back in history with the Israelites, He was the great king who delivered them from the Pharaoh and all the other evil kings. He was the great king that continued to just deliver His people from everyone who took them as captives. He is a great king, and even up to now in our lives, he continues to be a great king. That is a great king who deserves all honor. Actually, I want to rephrase this. God is a great king who deserves honor like no other. No one, not even our parents, not even our spouses, not even the most important people in our lives, no one should match the honor that we give God. He comes first. He is of top priority every time we honor Him. And He shows us here in Malachi that yes, the promises weren't being fulfilled. But unlike what the people were thinking, they were brats. They were saying, oh, He didn't fulfill the promise. It's over. He's unfaithful. Actually, He was still at work. And when it comes to the promises, they're always ready. The question is, are we ready to receive them? He might... We sometimes think that, oh, the promises are so impossible. In truth, they are already in place. What's impossible is our character. Can we handle the blessings that he's going to give? In Malachi 3.1, he shows that even though the promises were not being fulfilled yet, that he was at work. 
he reminds them that the promised king, the promised Messiah was still going to come. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. That is Jesus Christ. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. This is talking about two messengers, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And we see that after that 400 years, it might have been a long wait, but it happened. In John 1.29, this talks about John the Baptist. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, He was offered. God gave Jesus Christ His only Son, His best, His all. For what? For sinners like us. For undeserving people. For all the Jacobs in this place. To once again affirm to us that I have loved you and I will continue to love you. I am a promise-keeping God. I will never change. All of the promises that I have uttered to you, you will see it happen in my perfect time. That is why even though we are going through a tough situation, even if we are going through what seems to be a situation where God is not moving, trust me, He is moving. He is simply preparing the way for you to receive His promises. That is why even during those times, we can continue to worship Him. That is what God was trying to teach the people. We ask ourselves, why did the Israelites have such a hard time worshiping God? It's because they never knew God. They just heard about the stories and they never allowed themselves to experience God because they were so focused on the things that they wanted and they defined love according to their definition, according to what they were getting. They never saw who God is. Yet God still reached out to them. And Ezra and Nehemiah read the stories of the old prophets to them, showing them His faithfulness because as we look back, in the scripture, as we look back in the Old Testament, that was going to inspire them to have the hope that God will continue to provide for them in the future. And us in our lives, sometimes, you know, we try to twist the hand of God, we act up. As we look back, how much has He been faithful in your life? He's a good Father. He's a powerful Master and He's a great King. And He will continue to give you the victory that you are asking for. All He is asking for is that we honor Him the right way. How do we honor Him? Come on, give God praise. How do we honor Him? By giving Him what, we rightfully, what He rightfully deserves. I'm not saying that you give Him all your money. But as you give Him your money, give the best, give the first. It is a representation that, Lord, all that I have is Yours. As you use your gifts, use it for His glory. Lord, these gifts were given by you. I want, to, I, want it to, I want to use it for your glory. I want to offer this to you. And us, we are to offer our lives, our bodies as living sacrifices. Everything that we do is worship to Him. And I pray that truly we would be able to give our all because He deserves nothing less. Remember this. God is a great King who deserves our all because He gave us His all in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You. Thank You for Your goodness in our lives. Thank You that as we look back, truly we see who You are. You never change, O Lord God. Whatever we are going through right now, we can always choose to 
to praise you. We can always choose to offer the best to you, Lord God, because we know that you will, you will continue to take care of us as we lift up everything to you. And right now, we, we even ask for forgiveness if there were times that we offered to you things that, things that were not right or we offered to you with the wrong heart, with the wrong motives. Lord, we repent right now. We ask for forgiveness. Lord, I pray. I pray that you would always allow us to have the right heart every time we offer to you. And we know that that will come from a heart that knows you. Lord, the more we know you, the more we could really give you the esteem that you, that you deserve, the more we can surrender to you. So I pray that you reveal more of yourself to us. Lord, give us the faith. Give us the faith to, to just claim, continue to claim your promises, O Lord God. And even, even, though, even though during these times that, that these promises don't happen, Lord, we are declaring you are more than enough for us. Thank you that you have shown us how it is to really offer by offering your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you that through him, we have been given life. Right now, the Lord is calling some people, those who haven't surrendered their all, those who haven't surrendered their lives yet to Jesus Christ. As you surrender yourself to Jesus, again, it says that He's the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. As you trust in His finished work on the cross, God will be the one to wash your sins away and He will be the one to give you new life. A life that is eternal. He will be the one to just assure you of your, that you will spend eternity with Him. All it takes right now is for you to offer your all to Jesus Christ. We are going to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and we are going to declare Him as the Lord and Savior of our life. And my only, my only request is that as you utter these words that you mean it with all of your heart. Kindly just say this prayer, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your great love. Thank you for loving a sinner like me. I acknowledge that I have sinned against you and I ask for forgiveness. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for paying for my sins. I believe that you have died and you rose again. And right now, I am inviting you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Rule in my life. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you for the eternal life that you are giving me. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. God's people say, Amen, amen. Can we just give God praise?